Good morning. I'd like to uh, welcome you into uh, Redwood this morning. Um, many of you uh, are aware this is uh, Veterans Day uh, weekend. So if you are a, um, a veteran of our armed forces, uh, would you please stand? I'd like to take a moment and recognize you. You guys uh, appreciate your service. I know you uh, probably don't get told that enough, and, and even when we do say it, it's probably not enough, but uh, sometimes a, a sincere thank you is the best that we can offer. So thank you uh, to those who served. Um, I saw on Facebook where Texas Roadhouse is giving free meals to veterans tomorrow, so go over and get you a free meal at Texas Roadhouse. Tell them Facebook sent you. If they say they don't honor that, tell them Facebook said you did and everything on Facebook is true. So, <laughs> Hey, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're visiting, we're, we're honored that you're here. Uh, we have been the last few weeks in the middle of a series called Things Jesus Never Said. And uh, the point of this series, as we've kind of talked about the last few weeks, is uh, that we can make sure we aren't getting uh, some maybe some wrong ideas or bad ideas kind of in our minds as to what uh, Jesus actually told us we're supposed to do. You've heard us say that, uh, heard me say before that, that my goal as a Christian, my goal for you guys as, as Christians is that we learn more about who Jesus really is so that we know who we're really following after. The, the worst thing I could imagine is that I, I get to the end one day and realize I've been chasing the wrong race all along. And maybe I've hit a certain uh, spot on, on a target I'm aiming at, and then come to find out I've been aiming at the wrong target all along. So I want to make sure I'm aiming at the right target, and that I'm accurate to that right target. And to do that, we look at what the Bible has to say about who Jesus was, and who Jesus is, and, and, and who we are supposed to become. And to do that, we just simply look at what Jesus did say. And so the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a couple of things that uh, maybe we as Christians have, have come to believe over time. Maybe just because, uh, you know, we want to believe this way, or, or maybe we were taught this way, you know, inadvertently or intentionally, but, but we're kind of poking some holes in, in some myths or some, some ideas that we as Christians can come to believe about who Jesus is, because maybe this is what the Bible told us or what we thought. So the last couple of weeks, we've looked at uh, these statements Jesus never made, where he never told us, you don't have to forgive others. Last week, Matt talked about uh, our favorite uh, Jesus quote, just do what makes you happy. Kind of poked a hole on that one. Uh, today, we're going to follow this theme of, of just good, high, uplifting uh, topics uh, by looking at another great quote from Jesus, this one right here, you won't have bad days. That great quote that Jesus never said. Now, many of you, uh, if, if you've been a Christian for a long time or any length of time, you already kind of understand this is simply not a true statement. I mean, I could get up here and preach it all day long, and, and you already know it's not true. The problem is, uh, sometimes for new believers, maybe that's you, maybe you're a newer believer, or maybe you're not even a believer yet, you're here and you're checking Jesus out, and you're checking out this idea of what church is all about, uh, you, you have this idea of, man, if I just... If I just say yes to Jesus, man, everything's going to be great from there on out. And I just want to let you know, this is a bit of a misconception. Now, yes, it's true. Things are going to be great when you follow Jesus, but you're not going to avoid the trap of having bad days. And this is kind of a bit of a, 
of a personal topic for me. I, I spent a lot of time in a church uh, several years back where they really preached, we were really toe on the line onto that prosperity gospel, which is basically sometimes called the health and wealth gospel. The, the strength of your faith will determine uh, how, how your life goes. You know, avoiding sickness, avoiding uh, all of that stuff, and, and being financially uh, blessed as well. And I remember we, we, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of preaching along this line, and we had somebody come, and they started attending for a few months. They were there every single weekend. They were reading their Bible. They were praying. They were giving. They were doing all of these things. And guess what happens about three months later? Uncle gets cancer. He doesn't make it. We don't see that person anymore. And we finally talked to him, like, what's the point? Why, why, why bother even doing this? Nothing changed. I still had bad days. Bad things still happened to me. So, so what's the point in doing all this for God if, if nothing's going to change here? See, I think it's easy to assume that when you accept Jesus, or you accept his salvation, and you follow him, that those bad times are going to go away. And, and let's be honest, too. There's, there's plenty of times that you've heard me say this, that I, I really wish I could change what the Bible has to say about some things, and this is one of those topics you know, if, if God gave me this uh, cosmic pin to, to, to say, okay, Kurt, you, you can change some of these parts in the, in the Bible and, and make them to where it'll still be my word. I mean, one of the first things I'm getting rid of is there's going to be pain and suffering. You know, let, let's, we probably all would be okay with that one. I mean, we would all love it if the Bible said something along the lines of whoever does the will of my father will always get the best parking spot in the shade. Or, you know, if, if the Bible said something along the lines of, if you lose, uh, you lose your life for my sake, you'll look great in a swimsuit. Sometimes us guys feel that one too, okay? Or how about this one, seek first the kingdom of God and you will never get a zit the night before family pictures. <laughs> or if you're my family, your kids won't get sick the night before family pictures and show up with puffy eyes and red faces at family pictures the next day. Because that always seems to happen for us. Jesus never promised that when you say yes to him, you'll be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and never have bad days. He never said that, follow me, and it's going to be peaches and cream from here on out. Or if you don't like peaches, strawberries and cream, whatever. In fact, he told us the far opposite of that. You know what promise Jesus gives us? Look in John chapter 16. We're going to kind of camp out there today. Verse 20, here's what he tells us. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, while the world rejoices. Thanks, Jesus. That's the promise I was hoping for. <laughs> That's what we wanted to come to church and hear this morning. That doesn't really seem too fair now, does it? Hey, follow me so you can weep and mourn while the world parties. That's what we want to hear, right? Doesn't really quite seem fair, but again, anytime we look at Scripture, let's step back, let's look at the context, let's look at what's around this. This is uh, John chapter 16. Uh, last week you heard, heard Matt talk from, from this same section. I think we've, we've been in kind of this section that over, over the course of this series, but this is not just the night before Jesus went to the cross. This is in a, a period of movement. Okay, just, just to recap that night, there's the Last Supper. Okay, it's, it's Thursday night of Easter week. They've had the Last Supper. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. He's identified that one of them is going to betray him. And then they walk from this upper room over across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane, about a mile away. And, and this, is, this conversation is taking place on that walk. 
and then they're going to go to Gethsemane. Jesus is going to get arrested, and um, then they're going to go about another mile across the Kidron Valley in another direction to the temple, and that's where everything's going to take place the next morning. So that's a little context here. Jesus knows what's all about to happen. He knows he's going to go to the garden. He knows the anguish and the pain that he is about to endure. In fact, when he gets to the garden, uh, that, that becomes so much, he's, he's so uh, distressed, he's actually, the, the, the vessels in his forehead are bursting and he's sweating blood, literally. Okay, so, so understand all of that there. And, and not only that, his disciples are on his mind, okay? He's thinking about them. He's praying this prayer and he's talking to and he's challenging his disciples. Not just in the here and now, but he knows, hey, this time tomorrow, I'm, I'm not going to be here. And I'm going to have a couple of days, and then I'm going to come back for a while, and then I'm going to leave again. And during the course of all this, I, I want to pray for them, specifically their place in the world. And over like the next chapter and a half of John, we see this. In fact, he gets into 17 in, in this prayer that's called the high priestly prayer, where Jesus is praying to God. This is a prayer that just kind of blows my mind, because it's God praying to God. But in the course of this prayer, he mentions the word world 19 times. Specifically, like in comparison to us with him and us with the world. And he says things like, uh, I I give you peace, not like the world gives you. Or he'll say things like, I came uh, from the Father to the world, now I'm leaving the world to go back to the Father. Here's a great one that he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. You're not, uh, if, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, but you do not. You were taken out of the world. This is why the world hates you. I think we, we maybe get this conception that it's in our culture and in our time that the world is rejecting Jesus. It rejected Jesus when Jesus was walking the earth. That's why he went to the cross. Okay, it, it's always been the case here. And then I love this, this last one. He says, don't ask the Father, don't take them out of the world. Instead, protect them in the world. Here's what we need to understand. As we look at all of this, and we look at this topic of pain and bad days, here's something that we need to understand. We always ask this question, why is this, this, is, this doesn't seem fair, this doesn't seem right, but understand, folks, we were not created for this world. We weren't created for this world, so when we judge, uh, you know, that whole good things happening to bad, or bad things happening to good people, or, or how would God allow this to happen? We're judging this based on the standards that we understand as good and bad from our world. And we weren't created for this world. We were created for a perfect paradise and fellowship with our Father. That's what the original creation was in Genesis. That's what it's going to get back to in Revelation. One of these days, we will be pulled back into that perfect fellowship with Him. In the meantime, though, we are in this world. We weren't created for this world, we're created for something much more. Here's how Jesus kind of expands that thought a moment ago when he told us that we'll weep and mourn. Here's kind of the full verse to that. Verse 20, he says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will, be brie- uh, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Ladies, if you've had kids, you understand this reference. Men, if you've had a cold, you understand this reference. (laughs) Okay, saw a statistic out the other day. Um, (laughs) Saw a statistic out. Please somebody tell me what my wife's face looks like right now because I can't look over there. (laughs) 
saw a statistic out the other day that said a, a woman uh, going through childbirth uh, is, is the second most painful thing a human can endure. It's closely uh, behind a man with a cold. <laughs> so, <clears throat> she might uh, be uh, having a, a human being come out of her body, but I got the sniffies, so leave me alone, okay? <laughs> but you think about this, ladies. Okay, I, I watched three times my wife give birth with nothing stronger than Tylenol because she's stubborn and likes to prove a point that she can do this. But she wanted that experience. I don't know why, but she wanted that experience. The pain that she went through was evident. You could see it on her face. You could see it in her body, uh, shaking in ways that it had never uh, shook before. But the second the baby's born and she holds the baby, I'm assuming she forgot all about the pain. I forgot about the pain she caused when she squeezed my hand during that. So, <laughs> But ladies, how many of you, here, here's the point, I joke, but here's the point with this. How many of you held your child for the first time, you go, man, this wasn't worth it? I'm not asking later on when they were causing you problems, how many of you go, this wasn't worth it? <laughs> uh. What's my next verse? I need to get out of this quick. (laughs) The pain, Jesus says, is worth what comes after. The joy that you get from holding that child makes the pain seem just so much smaller by comparison. It doesn't diminish what you went through, okay? I I joke, I'm never going to diminish what my wife went through to give birth to our kids, okay? And, and all the rest of you ladies, same thing. Never diminish that. But that pain, Jesus says, is completely worth the joy that comes on the other end of it. In fact, here's how he kind of finishes this thought in verse 22. He says, so is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Again, what's about to happen? He's going to the cross, And the disciples are scared. They don't know what's happening. They think they know, but they don't really know. And and there's 11 disciples following him right now. In about 12 hours when he's on the cross, there's one still with him. The others have scattered. They've hidden. They're scared. Peter, the, the man who builds the church, was so terrified he lied three times that he even knew who Jesus was, and then he ran off and, and hid. Now, let's be honest, we probably would have done the same thing. That's what Jesus is praying here. Hey, this is going to be bad, but it's going to be worth it. So so here's a question I have for you, Uh, Christians specifically in the room. How many of you, uh, since you've become a Christian, have had bad days? I see a few liars out here. (laughs) And, And by bad days, I mean not just a day, but I mean a week, a month, a long period of time. Uh, we, we probably all have, right? And, and, you know, again, we can compare stories. Some of them, again, like we said a, a couple weeks ago, what might Im- impact me a certain way wouldn't impact you the same way, but that's, that's just how we're wired, right? It doesn't matter. We've all had times and stretches that have been hard. Now, let's kind of ask a follow-up here. If some of you can remember this. Before you became a Christian, how many of you assumed you wouldn't? That things would be fine? Or that your bad days would just seem very minor, Okay, I think maybe, maybe we don't assume we won't have bad days, but I think maybe there's a, an easy assumption our bad days will be better than they were before Jesus. And they're about the same. Pain still pain. Hurt is still hurt. 
Trials and troubles are still trials and troubles. And, and here's the thing that Jesus told us here. That, I, that Again, I want you to kind of understand as he finishes this thought out. He tells us this in verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. Now, that's a bit of a reassurance there. But, he says, in this world you will have what? Success? Fame? Strong emotional support? Great encouragement every day? Free Wi-Fi everywhere you go? No, what's he say? You will have trouble. Maybe that's where you're at today. Uh, you're, you're, you're trying Jesus out. Uh, you're going through some rough, rough times in life, and you're, you're here, and you're trying Jesus out, or, or you're, you're deciding if you want to follow him, or maybe you just started following him. You just have accepted him. And, and through all of this, and you're like, well, this is reassuring. What's the point? But listen, I can't promise you anything in your life. Okay, I, I can't promise you what's going to happen when you leave here today. I can't promise you what's going to happen tomorrow. But the one thing I can promise you is that you will have troubles in life. You will have pain in life. You will have struggles in life. You will have uh, difficult times in life. They are inevitable. Welcome to Redwood. <laughs> Our job is to make you feel better about yourself. <laughs> Some of you right now, are in the middle of a difficult season. Some of you right now are feeling left out or unloved or rejected or not wanted. You feel overlooked. Some of you right now have lost confidence in life and you're wrapped with stress and worry and anxiety. Some of you right now are, are stuck uh, with, with, with a lo- uh, loss or lack of income. You, you're stuck with a horrible diagnosis. You are stuck with uh, family dysfunction. Some of you right now are under incredible stress because of work. Some of you are under incredible stress looking for work. Some of you right now are, are, are so, uh, it's so difficult for you to get out of bed in the morning because of the pain, whether it's physical or emotional. Some of you, it's too difficult to go to bed at night because of pain that's physical or emotional. Some of you are, are, are watching helplessly as your friends and loved ones battle addiction and, and, and disease, and you're feeling alone and hurt and overwhelmed. Some of you are in a, a situation you're convinced that nobody understands or even cares And you're in the middle of all this just screaming, God, where are you? Where are you? I said yes to you. I do everything you ask. Where are you? Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Here's the best part, though. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We weren't made for this world. And the whole point that Jesus is making with the the, the illustration of childbirth is that this is temporary. And I know the worst thing we want to hear when we're in the middle of it is, well, it'll get better. Because you hear that, right? And you're like, well, I don't care if it's going to get better. I want it better now. God, where are you? Women, when you gave birth, how many of you just wished it could be, man, where's my kid? But it doesn't. It it goes on and on. Okay? Take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. There's two things I think we can look at and understand about the troubles that we can face. 
And so if we're going to put a positive spin on trials and troubles, how do we do this? Two things that I want you to understand with this. The first is this, your troubles will prove your faith. Troubles prove your faith. Okay? This is the opposite of what you might hear from a prosperity type of, of gospel where they say, no, your faith determines whether you have troubles or not. That's what they say. If you have troubles, you just need to grow your faith a little bit more. No, that's, not, that's not the point here. The Bible says that troubles prove our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, he says this, Be truly glad. Really, Peter? Be truly glad in our troubles? How many of you are in the middle of a trouble? You're like, thank you, Jesus. I wanted all this. No, be truly glad, he says. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. What's he mean there? Genuine faith. If your faith is genuine, that must mean there's also fake or counterfeit faith, too. I mean, we, we, have to, we can't have one without the other. But when our faith is genuine, what's he talking about? Now, understand, if we're talking about whether your faith is genuine or, or counterfeit, we're not saying this, like, from a judgmental standpoint of, man, look at, look at how bad his faith is. No, it, it's hopefully so we can step back and be more aware of it so that we can try to fix it. And, and here's kind of the point behind this. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, gives a parable about different kinds of faith. What, what Peter kind of alludes to here is genuine or, or counterfeit. He gives this parable called the parable of the sower. And, and in this parable, he talks about a farmer casting seed out into a field. And he says there's four kinds of soil that that seed can land on. And the first three are, are bad. Now, if you, if you garden, you're, you're going to understand some of these references here. The first one, he says, is a, is a hard soil or, or a path. In other words, like we throw it and it lands on the sidewalk. And it's kind of similar to us having a hardened heart. It doesn't matter what kind of teaching you receive, what kind of study you do. If your heart is hardened, there's no possibility for that seed to take root. And so the seed's just going to lay there on the concrete until the wind blows it away or until a bird or a squirrel or something comes and eats it. That's how we can be. If, if, if our hearts are hard, it's, nothing's going to stick. It's just going to sit there until something brushes it away. The second is what he calls rocky soil. So imagine that you're planting your garden and you've got uh, all sorts of junk in your soil. And the seed will take root. It'll start to grow. But there's too much stuff in the way and it can't grow properly. And so the first storm comes along is going to blow that thing away. Or the first sign of trouble is going to, to kill off that, that growth. That's how our hearts can be. If we've got too much other junk in the way, the the word can't take root. The third type of soil, he calls it the thorny soil. I think we could probably understand it more with like soil with a bunch of weeds in it. And and, uh, the seed's going to grow, but man, it's it's so likely for that whatever is going to grow to get choked out by the weeds, by the thorns. And so it might grow, but the the worries, the anxieties, the struggles, the troubles of life are going to keep the word from taking root. But the fourth soil, Jesus says, is the good soil. And here's specifically what he says in Matthew 19. He says, but the seed falling on the good soil refers to somebody who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Let me ask you gardeners a, a question here. How do you make sure your soil is free from rocks and thorns? You hit it with a tiller, right? Break all that stuff up. You get a rake, you get down there and you dig it out. You work it. You don't just assume it's okay. 
That requires work, trials, struggles, to make sure that your soil is receptive to what you're trying to plant. It is no different with our hearts. Our hearts have to be put through a test to make sure. In other words, what Jesus and Peter are saying is our faith grows when our heart is ready and receptive to understand and receive the gospel. And sometimes we need testing to make sure that that's the case. I think about Peter walking on water. You, know, you go to that, that story where Jesus is walking across the Sea of Galilee and Peter's in the boat and there's a storm going on. That's one thing to understand Jesus walking on water. This is God in the flesh. Like this is actual God down there walking on the water. God can do anything. He spoke the world into existence. So to, for me to believe that, it's not very hard for me to believe that God could walk across the surface of water. But he calls Peter out. Come to me, Peter. So Peter gets out of the boat and starts to walk on the water. A human, a very flawed human like you and me, walking towards Jesus until what? He got caught up in the storm. And his worry, his world, suddenly became bigger than his Savior. And he started to sink. Peter had to test that faith. Uh, Think about uh, buildings that are stress-tested or bridges that are stress-tested to make sure they're safe for, for people to use. Kind of a funnier example, I always crack up with this, when they build a new like football stadium, uh, they test the pipes. You know how they do that? Before they open the stadium, they bring people in. They go to every single bathroom, every single stall in the entire building. And on, like, when a horn goes off, they flush every toilet at the exact same time. Because they want to see if the pipes can handle all the water. They stress test it. Okay? Now think about that. We get stress tested in our faith. Here's why. A faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. Now, sometimes I think another misconception is our faith has to be totally blind. Hey, you know, it doesn't matter what the facts are. Just believe me and follow. That's not really faith. That's just, hey, come follow me. No, the the Bible talks about our faith is something that we learn from experience. Evidence that we we have seen as we've gone along. No, it's not concrete. It's not like gravity. But our faith comes by learning, by seeing, by experiencing. Here's the second thing I want you to understand about uh, your, your trials and troubles, is that troubles will prepare you for a purpose. kind of plays off the first one, where, where uh, we, we said that uh, uh, troubles prove our faith. Now troubles prepare us for a purpose. You understand you can't grow without being tested. Here's an example of this. When I was a kid, I was really, really good in school. My, my grades were great, and I never even had to try. It just came naturally to me. And so all through like grade school and middle school, I had all A's. I never even did homework. Like It just was one of those kids that uh, was probably kind of a nerd. I know that kind of blows up your perception of me, but um, <laughs> great grades all the way through, A's all the way through. My sophomore year in high school, I finally had a teacher challenge me, and I went from all A's to a C because I had no idea how to respond to her. I had no idea how to respond when I was finally challenged. And, and so, I mean, I got through there, finished high school, finished my first years of college, still barely did any homework, barely studied, and, and had, you know, just under a 4.0 GPA. And I got to college at, at OU, where I was having harder classes, and I just got smacked upside the head. And I struggled. Because I didn't know how to respond. I'd never been tested when I was younger. And looking back, I realized how I should have approached it, but you know, at the time, it was just easy. 
and I was, you know, getting pats on the back and congratulations for how good and smart I was at these things. I was never getting challenged to try and figure things out. And I think that applies with our faith much the same way. It's easy to follow Jesus when life is easy. It's so easy to follow Jesus when everything's easy. But when things break down, if our faith hasn't taken root, it's much more difficult. Think about some other things where, where you can go through trials and you see the end result. How many, how many of you have ever had an, an injury that's required physical therapy? And physical therapy is grueling. It's hard. Why? Because they want you to get proper use of your body back. You think about uh, athletes. They go through incredible training in the off-season. So they're prepared. We put our soccer players through six months because they were going to go out when games started and they were going to run and fight and, and get knocked down and get back up and run 100 yards this way and then 80 yards back the other way for 80 straight minutes. We had to have them prepared for that. Those of you who stood up earlier as veterans, man, think about the, the, uh, the, the, the training you guys went through. You know, going through uh, physical and mental and emotional training early on, pushed almost to the breaking point. Why? So that you were prepared if you had to use all that. You were prepared when the bell was rung and you had to answer it. We think about trials, and, and often we think about trials as being something personal against us. That's not the case. It's just, that's just life. It's just the world. And, and this verse in, in James chapter 1 can be very difficult to understand, but, man, you think about this. James says this way, consider it pure joy. Once again, pure joy for your trials. Man, what are these guys thinking? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And here's why. <clears throat> you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let the perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. <clears throat> you know what I love about this verse? You know what another word for complete is in the Bible? It's often translated as perfect. When you see the word perfect in the Bible, it, it usually means more complete than without, you know, without blemish. In other words, James is saying your trials, your troubles, if you allow that to let you like, learn how to persevere, as opposed to just getting upset and getting frustrated, it's going to lead towards a maturity and a completeness, uh, completeness in your faith. I mean, do I think that God is just some sort of like masochist who enjoys watching us struggle? No, not at all. But I think that God is sometimes like a, like a parent, like a dad, who's watching his kids figure things out. And, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I say that I think God likes to watch us just mess things up so that we can look to him and go, okay, how do, how do I do this the right way now? But you think about, like, I see this with, with my own kids. It was just a few months ago that Titus was learning how to walk. I couldn't just hold his hands and do it for him all the time. He needed to do it on his own. He needed to fall down. He needed to learn how to catch himself. Uh, Elsie, uh, learning how to, to, to ride a bike, you know, she, she's tried once, and it didn't go very well, so she hasn't wanted to try again. But I can't just hold on to the back of it the whole time. I've got to let her go. And she might have to fall and get hurt in the process. But eventually she'll learn it. Eventually it'll come through there. That growth will happen. Uh, think about uh, when you were younger, having your first uh, crush break your heart. You know, and then how many times you learned to love. And now you've learned how to love better and more properly. Uh, think about uh, parents watching our kids get benched in sports. Maybe because, you know, some other kid outworked them and earned a spot over them. And we want them to learn that lesson of, what, of, of how that works. 
See, here's the point. Exposure to pain isn't fair, but it gives us a chance to grow. It's, it's not fair. Life's not fair, but that's life. But we can grow through it. So the question I guess I have for you all is, when you get pain in your life, when you get bad days in your life, what's your response? Is it the opportunistic, okay, this is awful, this is horrible, God, what are you trying to teach me? How do I need to grow through this? Or is it discouragement, anger, rage, apathy? Sometimes we can get to that point. You can look in the Bible and see plenty of examples of people who faced incredible trials. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Joseph in prison for something he didn't do, sold off by his brothers who were jealous. And, and what does he say at the very end? This was God's plan. Not necessarily to make me go through the worst possible things, but to use those things for his glory. Think about Moses, who, who ran off in fear and, and he hid for decades. And then he tried to hide behind the fact that he wasn't physically able to do what God wanted him to do. And what's God say? I don't care, do it anyway. You can throw every excuse in the book at me. But God used him. Again, we talked about Peter. He struggled to trust. He rejected God. He left Jesus at the most desperate hour. And Jesus used him to build the church. How do you respond to rejection and criticism? How do you respond to the world kicking you to the curb? How do you respond? See, again, I, I talked earlier about the parts of my life where I went through without really having to deal with criticism. I was getting passed on the back. I didn't grow from that. I didn't grow from any of that. I didn't learn anything from any of that. I learned how great I was. That didn't really help you when troubles hit because the world doesn't care how great you are. The world doesn't care about any of that. Growth comes through trials. I've faced my share like, like you probably have too. And, and I can tell you looking back, I, I, I don't want to go back and redo those but I'm glad I learned something by going through them. Learning something about humility. Learning something about how to work, how to dig in, how to grow, how to learn. If you keep your eyes on God, folks, your faith will not weaken during trials. It will grow stronger. Now, here's the big disclaimer. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy or fun. And even after it's over and you've learned the lesson... It's okay to still look back over your shoulder occasionally and go, God, you could have taught me that like a hundred different ways. So I'll be honest, I do that. <laughs> like, God, I, I can read emails. You could have just sent that to me. <laughs> you know? It's not easy. It's not fun. But in the midst of, of your troubles and your trials, sometimes you've got to take your eyes out of the mirror and look up. And here's the bad part about this. I say bad Maybe bad is not the right word, but sometimes bad for us or hard for us to understand. Sometimes you're going through struggles and trials for other people's benefit. I, I've told you the story of my friend Kelly and how she struggled with cystic fibrosis her entire life. And at 26, God didn't heal her. He called her home. He didn't heal Kelly. She didn't gain out of that. But I think of the number of people that were touched because of how she handled all that. Because of the spirit she handled through all that. And those people probably wouldn't have been touched otherwise. Those lives wouldn't have been impacted otherwise. By, by a frail, early 20-something 
young girl who brought joy to people's faces, who lit up rooms with a big, huge, obnoxious laugh. A person that if God would have just simply healed her and moved on, a few people might have praised God, but it would have impacted, I think, the, the number of people it did. If you're in the midst of trials right now, understand it is not simply pain, it's preparation. God is preparing you for something. I don't know what, okay? And, and to be honest, other people in your lives might not know either. But God is preparing you for something. He is preparing you for something. You weren't turned down, for example, you were just toughened up. Okay, sometimes it's perception and it's attitude. Uh, maybe, maybe somebody offended you. Maybe that's just God purifying your heart, strengthening your heart. Uh, maybe you're, you're feeling lonely and you're in a spot where, where there's nobody for you. Maybe that's God saying, hey, you just need to learn how to trust me more because I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Maybe you were uh, betrayed and, and, and you were hurt and you were cut by that. Maybe that's God actually just expanding your capacity to love and forgive others. Uh, maybe you were uh, set back, you know, you were, you were cut from a job or you had something that just pushed you back in life and that's God setting up your life so that he can show off. Maybe he's showing you what he can do beyond what we can do. I promise you this, folks, there is purpose in your pain. It may not look like it and it may not seem like it, but there's always purpose in your pain. In this world, there is trouble. In Jesus, there is peace. As we kind of wrap this up today, um, as we kind of get into our time of communion here in a few moments, we're going to give you the opportunity. Um, if you have, have never experienced Jesus, if you've never accepted him, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that today. And so uh, as the music plays here in a few moments, I'm going to step over here to the side kind of over in this corner, and if you'd like to come up uh, and, and, and chat with me, uh, if any of the elders are around and can come, they, they'll join us over there. But we'd just like to talk to you, give you the opportunity to accept Jesus, because here's the thing, he didn't come to save us from our pain. He came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from our sins. We were created not to live in this world, but to fellowship and exist with him in his kingdom. His kingdom is here, but it's not here. It's now, but it's not yet. One of these days, all of this pain and suffering is going to be washed away. That's, that's my favorite promise from the Bible. As we read in Revelation, there will be no more pain and no more tears and no more suffering, no more death. He says, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus is going to give us new life in a new world with him. And you get that by saying yes to him. So we're going to pray, and we'll, we'll, we'll start communion. And I'll be over here again if you have, uh, would like to come talk. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for his love. God, we're so thankful that you never leave us, even in the midst of our worst times when we feel so lonely, we feel so broken and so rejected. You don't leave us. God, we love you for that. God, I pray today if anybody's in the middle of troubles, in the middle of trials, in the middle of just pain that doesn't seem like it ever wants to go away, God, you would help us keep our eyes on you. 
not on ourselves, not on our surroundings, but on you. And God, there may still be days that hurt. There may still be days that are hard. But if we keep our eyes on you, Lord, we know, we know that we'll pull through this eventually. You'll pull us through it. God, I ask today if, if we're in the midst of those pain, in the midst of those hurts, you'd wrap your arms around us and give us that peace that passes any of our understanding or that we could have peace in the middle of the storm, calm in the middle of the storm. You're the very God who spoke to storms and they calmed down. You're the very God who walked across water in the middle of a storm. So God, give us that reassurance today. Allow us as, as a body to come together to help those God going through this pain. Speak through us to them. God, let us never lose sight of you. We pray in Jesus' name.